0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host Dominic Booth and we're here to review United's disappointing Europa League defeat on penalties to Villarreal. Um, I'm joined by our Chief United writer Samuel Lucas from his hotel
1: in Gdansk. How are you Samuel? Hello. Well, thank you. Not too bad at all.
0: And Tyrone Marshall is with us as well. Um, Ty, how are you?
2: I'm good, thank you, Dom. Yeah, good.
0: Yeah, a damn sight better than um, many Manchester United players will probably be feeling the morning after the night before. Um, one all ended after uh, 120 minutes of pretty turgid football in in Gdansk against Villarreal. And then a penalty shootout that seemed to go on forever um, until David De Gea missed his kick after failing to save the previous 11 that were taken at him. Um, Where'd you start, Samuel? I mean... United didn't perform the way the way that they they could have done. Solskjaer admitted they didn't turn up, um, and a lot of the spotlight has come down on the manager after this defeat for for his management of the game, for his team selection, and his
1: substitutions. Um, do you do you agree with the criticism that is coming his way? I suppose I have to because I have been part of that criticism. <laughs> uh, he it was just rank bad mismanagement from. Start to finish. I, I said to Ty before the game, um, just that if United lost this, it would be it'd be too easy just to pin it on Solskjaer, and and it was too easy to pin it on him. I, during the shootout, it was it was a strange dynamic because I thought if United win this, how the hell am I going to actually turn this match piece around and write about it because they played dreadfully. Uh, it was it would have been a penalty well one on penalties and if they were to have won it on penalties it would have had to have been a Real player not hitting the target because there was no way De Gea was ever going to save one but the alarm bells rang as soon as the team dropped with I'll say at the start Rashford and Greenwood in it but I mean Rashford in it Rashford should just never have started three of us didn't have him in any of our personal 11s for the final but I think we all knew that Rashford was going to start, but the surprise was that he accommodated Greenwood as well, which had a knock-on effect in that it meant Pogba dropped back into midfield because Fred was dropped. And that meant United didn't have Pogba further forward. And Pogba was just ineffectual from deep. Uh, He's played his best football for United this season from the left. And Solskjaer just decided to take him out of his best position, effectively, which was counterproductive. Rashford really needed to perform in getting the call from Solskjaer. And unfortunately for him, he had the worst game of his career. It, he, was, it, he just could not do anything right. And it was pretty damning that it, not only was he playing badly, he was playing badly against Juan Foyth, who obviously is a from Tottenham. And you think of how bad Tottenham's fullbacks have been this season. And there's Juan Foyth who they deem surplus pocketing rashford I, I was just astonished how bad Rashford was, and then I was even more astonished that Solskjaer didn't have the bravery to take him off and that just reflected horrendously on Solskjaer. and and that's obviously connected with the call in in playing both Greenwood and rashford there wasn't a standout game changer to come on and I mean you could say he left himself short in in reserve and attack, as far as attackers were concerned. But he had one matter who has come off the bench a number of times and been a game changer for United. There was Van der Beek, Ahmad, Daniel James. Now, three of those four players are Solskjaer signings, and he didn't trust, he pretty much didn't trust any of them to come on and have an impact. And perversely, it was probably a bad thing United equalised when they did because Solskjaer thought, great, I don't have to make a substitution now. I don't have to take Rashford yeah. off. I don't have to change it up. I don't have to think too much. And it was just absolutely telling that they didn't make a change until the 100th minute. And I don't think Fred was a bad call to come on at all. I think you know, a friend was texting me during the game and I was saying to him, put Fred on, take Rashford off, put Pogba up top. You know, that's tactically proactive. That's adventurous. But unfortunately, I just question whether United have a brave enough manager after last night. And that's without even getting into the goalkeeping situation. You knew he didn't even consider taking De Gea off for Henderson, which is absolutely what he should have done. When penalties were looming, I I certainly wasn't the only one thinking it. De Gea is probably the most infamous keeper in history for his penalty record and how bad it is. Viral would have known about that as well. And you just feared for him. And unfortunately, that penalty shootout was torturous for De Gea in, in that he conceded all of them. And then when it was his turn to take a penalty, he's the he's the fall guy. It, it just could not have gone any worse for him. Um, I think it was the right call by Sol- that Solskjaer made in, in starting De Gea. De Gea deserved to start. But when, it, when penalties were looming, when the shootout was looming, he had to take De Gea off. And he didn't. Um, I think the only thing he got all right, Solskjaer, was putting Tellers and on because they were only put on to take penalties and they both scored their penalties.
0: Yeah, the, the goalkeeping situation in Thai, um I think I agree with everything Samuel said there. I think that, you know, De Gea should have started. He he, he mm. had been the Europa League keeper, he deserves a start, but it, it doesn't necessarily make him um, the best keeper that United have got and certainly not the best keeper at saving penalties. And it's very rare that you get a, a penalty shootout where a goalkeeper sort of embarrasses themselves and come, comes away as the, the fall guy because usually they've only anything to, to gain from it. But the Hayes' record at saving penalties, as Samuel says, has been so poor. It, it almost felt like, despite all Solskjaer's mistakes and United's poor performance for the previous two hours, all they had to do was save a penalty and they would have won the trophy.
2: Yeah, they would have done. Um, and, you know, it would have been... It, it, when, when finals go to penalties, it's such a bizarre narrative because had De Gea saved Rui's penalty and scored his, we'd have been talking about how United can build on this and, and how they got away with it. But when it becomes, you know, when they lose it, it it's all a bit more starker. And, you know, the, the, I mean, the penalty shootout was a disaster. I, I, you're right that he was never going to make the change with goalkeepers. And had he made the sob, it'd have, you know, the goalkeeping, goalkeeping situation has been unclear all season and remains unclear. By starting De Gea, he had probably annoyed Henderson had he taken De Gea off for Henderson in the 119th, 119th minute, it'd have probably had a situation where he's managed to annoy both of his senior goalkeepers when he needs to keep at least one of them on side going into next season, and, and really he needs to make a decision very quickly on who is who his number one is because I don't think the situation's helping anyone. Um, I mean, watching it, I was watching De Gea quite closely in the penalties, partly because of his awful penalty record, and as an amateur goalkeeper myself of absolutely no repute, I was interested to see. <laughs> how he went about it. And it it felt to me like he changed strategy at least a couple of times in it. The first couple of penalties, he kind of guessed which way to go and went early, as he often does. Then it felt like he stood up and tried to react to where they were going. And then he went back to guessing again. And by the time he'd gone back to guessing, I mean, it's hard to tell from the angle you get um, on TV when you're not getting the view across the line. But it looked like for at least half of them, he had both feet off the line. So even if he had saved one, it wouldn't have counted and they'd have had to retake it. There was at least three or four, minimum, I would say, where he had both feet off the line when, when the ball was kicked and he dived to make the save, which in an era of VAR, we just know that's going to be pulled back. When, when Ruli saved from De Gea, you saw the first thing the referee did was put his hand to his ear to hear the, the VAR official tell him whether it was a legitimate save or not. And had De Gea managed to save one, I think if there's every chance he'd have been left with the embarrassment of it being ruled out and he'd have to try again, so...
1: No, yeah. That happened it happened against Palace, didn't it? Opening day of the season. Yes, it the one, did. Yeah, the, one, at the start the of the season. One, the one time he actually saved. The one he actually saved. He, it was chalked off. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, one thing that didn't get reported as well, I think, was the fact that Fernandez won the toss and chose to go second in the shootout, which struck me as a particularly odd decision. I think it lost you know, you lose a lot of momentum by doing that. You put a lot of pressure on yourself mm. and you know it felt like you know, like you said, Ty United were always chasing that and Samuel yeah. said it never looked like De Gea was making saves. I mean but... it was
2: I was just on the goalkeeping situation, I would say I mean De Gea, De Gea, didn't really get near any. But in terms of ones that should have been saved, I mean Rooney should have saved more than De Gea's. He should have kept Luke Shaw's out and he should probably have kept Fernandez's out. So yeah, had had De Gea somehow managed to save one, the spotlight would have fallen on on Rooney for not saving penalties that he really should have saved. In the end, you know, he, he got away with that and De Gea didn't. But we know De Gea's record stretches back over it. I think it's 30, 30 to 35 penalties in a row he's conceded now, which 40. is... Uh, is it 40? 40. I mean, that's just absolutely embarrassing for a Good goalkeeper, calling. isn't it? I think you could put me in goal against professional footballers and I would save one in 40. I'm pretty uh, pretty confident of that.
0: Yeah, I did actually say that while watching it last night. I <laughs> thought I would have saved one of them. Uh, but, uh, we'll, move, we'll move on. Uh, so actually, the best penalty of the night was was taken very surprisingly by Fred. Uh, and Samuel, you made, you made the point earlier that that may be he was harshly dropped and it altered United's shape for the game um, and also, like you said, it would have left them with an option to bring off the bench either Rashford or Greenwood, probably Rashford because he was the man out of form going into the game. Um, a lot of fans didn't pick up on that as a point Samuel because I think the partnership of Fred and McTominay is increasingly unpopular with, with supporters but it is United's big game partnership in midfield and
1: it was scrapped and and really, that that proved quite costly in the end. Yeah, the the social media trials got like what they wanted. Fred Fred came out of the team. It wasn't look, Fred, whatever they call it, and United lost a, another final. So I'm sure they'll be quite pleased about that. It, it, you know, if if you, I think when we put our panel out, or when we tweet, when one of us tweeted it out, someone said, "What have you all gone with McTominay and Fred?" And look, these people on on Twitter who rage like that and play championship manager or football manager or fifa that they, they don't know a lot about football and in taking fred out of that team last night united were unbalanced i know pogba's a midfielder it's not like he put phil jones in midfield or someone completely incongruous but pogba has played his best football for united this season from the left and he's done that football has come pretty recently as well so it made infinite sense to keep Pogba on the left. United didn't do that. They lost his influence higher up. Fernandez was poor. Rashford was uh, just dreadful. So, you know, Cavani obviously got the goal, but he he didn't exactly perform outright. The best the best of the front four was Greenwood, and given how much they were struggling, they needed a player with Pogba's presence and quality further forward. And they didn't bother bother giving, um, giving the attackers that. I think in terms of the attack all night, I mean, Cavani, Fernandes and Rashford finished the game. Greenwood was the only one who didn't. So in a game where ideally you want to win it in regulation time or extra time just to prevent David De Gea having to face penalties... United didn't actually do an awful lot to try and try and win the game. They just stuck with what they had. And Solskjaer said it afterwards. He said, I had, this, I had Rashford, Greenwood, Cavani. He, he pretty much listed the front six and that was why he didn't make a substitution until the 100th minute. And that was the patent problem when the team dropped. He had deprived himself of an obvious game changer to change it up. But even then, he still could have. He could have brought Fred on for Rashford earlier. But he just... Unfortunately... Solskjaer has his favourites. Unfortunately for United, Solskjaer has his favourites. And I think Rashford might be the favourite of them all, maybe second favourite to Fernandez, And I don't quite get it. I, I don't think you can just be dictated to by someone's PR image. And that's the impression it's that has been given with his with his handling of Rashford. And he's also overplayed him this season. I mean, Rashford was getting treatment last night. Daniel James was stood on the touchline ready to come on. And he still didn't come on. (laughs) The stadium announcer said that Rashford was coming off. Yeah, Rashford was so bad, the stadium announcer said that he was the one who'd come off when it was Pogba. And a sad (laughs) consequence of it all is that, of course, a, a black player plays badly and they get racially abused by low lives on Twitter. And unfortunately, that that's just a never-ending cycle. And there's no right or wrong way of, go, of going about it. But I just think in, in identifying and, and giving these low lives oxygen, I, I fear that the media are empowering them because they must get a kick out of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Obviously, that is an absolutely appalling consequence that we, that we don't want to see. Uh, I guess the flip side, Tyrone, to, to Samuel's argument that Solskjaer got his man management wrong on the night and his substitution is wrong and a lot of people have made this point is that United didn't have depth and it was, it was very little in terms of options that he could have brought on um, in Gdansk I think maybe the fact that Donny van de Beek cost nearly £40 million, yeah. um and wasn't used at all is counter to that argument but do you give fuel to that? that United are still struggling for depth Torshaw came up quite brazenly and said that he needs three first team signings this summer um, to compete, but yeah, what do you make of it? I mean, this is only against Villarreal, seventh best team in, in the league. Yeah, I mean, Villarreal had made five
2: substitutes in the 90 minutes while United had made none. You're not telling me that Villarreal have a deeper squad than Man United do. Um, it's just not the case. So, And the fact is that four of those signings on the bench were Solskjaer signings, and we can discount Ahmed because he's, he's clearly one for the future and it would be bold to throw him on in a final like that, but Certainly in, in James and van der Beek, they are two attacking Solskjaer signings that he clearly didn't trust. So, you know, if it is the case that he's concerned at a lack of depth, unfortunately, it lands at, at, at his door. Um, I thought the, you know, the, the fact is there was when the team came out, there was a lot of United fans singing Solskjaer's praises for going bold and playing such an adventurous team. We all know that had Fred been fit, Fred and McTominay would have started that game. It's not even, it's not even... A debate, they would have absolutely started, but Fred clearly wasn't wasn't fit enough. Um it would have been the right decision though, Tyrone. Oh it? yeah. Yeah, absolutely it would have been the right decision. I think he's played them in in too many games this year. I mean, he shouldn't they both got injured against Fulham. They should never have been on the pitch against Fulham. You can't play Fred and McTominay at home against a team already relegated from um, from the Premier League. I mean, that's that's an embarrassing midfield setup, frankly, and it is far, far too cautious, and that has to change next season. But in big games and in a final, I think they're, you know, they, they can offer United good protection and a final is always going to be tight as much as United are clearly a better team than Villarreal. So, yes, it would have been the right decision. And I guess moving Pogba back, I mean, he's probably never going to bring Matic in. So moving Pogba back, I guess, was the next the next obvious solution. But, I mean, personally, I thought I thought Van der Beek at Wolves was arguably the, the most complete game he's had for United. I, I thought he was really good in one of those deep positions. And, might have been a risk to throw him into a final, but if anything, European games suit him more than Premier League games at the moment. So you could have played Van der Beek there and, and left Pogba on the left. So there were, there were options to be had, I guess, rather than playing Rashford and Greenwood. And you know, we, we can argue that it did leave United short of an attacking substitution. They didn't have Martial. Obviously, you could have came on on the wing for, for Rashford and and offered more of a threat. But you know, the fact is, Solskjaer signed James and Van der Beek, and they were perhaps two of the most obvious attacking changes I mean you're never you're never going to take Fernandes off in a game like that but he was you know he was marked out of the game entirely for 120 minutes and that really cost cost United badly as well In that they couldn't play through him so you know there were options to be had there and and sometimes you can say there's a lack of depth but do you persist with a Rashford who you know he he played poorly and has been playing poorly for a while but he's also played through two injuries this year I mean he needs a rest he is completely and utterly done and you know, part of that I think has to fall on Toscar as well, and that he's been flogged through. He's been flogged through injuries when clearly he should have been taken out of the firing line and, and given more rest. He looks just completely exhausted. I wouldn't have him anywhere near the European Championships this summer. Um, and there's an argument to say that you know you, you can rely on him for. He, he has a habit of popping up with goals even when he's playing badly. But when you've got a Rashford who is by by 80 minutes he was barely even 50% fit is it better to have a 50% Rashford or a 100% Daniel James? You know, you're probably better with a 100% Daniel James. So it seems an, an obvious substitution, but I think there was, there was far too much caution in the way Solskjaer went about managing it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Samuel, what happens next then from all this? It, it feels like United have, have very much made their transfer priorities clear throughout the, the latter stages of this season. And, and they were magnified by the, by the game in Gdansk. Um, so Is Solskjaer going to get the, the backing that he's been calling out for? Is he going to, to get the backing in terms of his job security for the next season? And, and what must United achieve if, if they're going to continue what has been a progressive season ultimately, but, but
1: a disappointing one at the same time? I don't think they'll get everything that they want in a window. I just think under the current regime, it's, it's pretty much impossible. And then you factor in the pandemic, the valuation of certain players, how you know how to go about deal making. I think if they were to get two of the three and, and by saying that, I mean like high quality players that in the last window, the emphasis was on fleshing out the squad. Um, Telez, Van der Beek, Cavani, they were Ahmad, Pelestri. They were not players to go straight in the first team. I think we maybe thought that was the case with Van Der Beek, but it's proven to be anything but. Whereas this summer, they need players to go straight into that starting side and to improve it. Now, some like Varan would, Paul Torres would, uh, the way he played last night, I thought him and Albiol were excellent. Declan Rice would, obviously, Jaden Sancho would, but they are not going to get... Sancho, Varan and Rice, it's, it's too expensive. Rice is probably, Varan and uh, Sancho are more elite players, more esteemed players, however you want to term it, than, than Rice. But Rice is more expensive because of his age, of his contract situation, the club he's attached to, etc. Um, I think it's safe to say he's a first teamer at international level as well. So they're going to have to be quite clever in certain areas. They're going to have to make definitive decisions with some of the current players as well. Solskjaer needs to stop pussyfooting around the goalkeeper situation and tell Dean Henson or David De Gea you can go in the summer, be it on loan or on a permanent both of those players cannot be at United next season. It's just an unsustainable dynamic. And the goalkeeping situation has been mismanaged ever since Sergio Romero was dropped for the Europa League semi-final last season. Uh, Paul Pogba, there needs to be clarity there that they could maybe get away with it for another year. But, of course, they they risk losing him for without obtaining a fee. And I don't think the Glazers, given given their nature, would countenance that. So I don't think Solskjaer... It, it Rams it, it home after last night because he was, frankly, he was gutless with the way he went about a lot of last night. I don't think he's made a legitimately brave call in his time back at United. Someone, some might say Lukaku. I don't think selling Lukaku was a brave call. Lukaku wanted to leave. His second season at United was was dreadful. He didn't. His face just didn't fit. Um, you know, on Solskjaer's watch, they've cattled to Martial, they've indulged Pogba, they've re-signed De Gea, they even re-signed Eric Bailly, And uh, you know, I, I was I was disappointed by he played last night just because of the interview he gave with the Times, which was a very good interview with, with Danny Lopez and conducted in Spanish. But there he is talking. You know, I've signed a new contract, but. If I'm not playing, then I've got to consider my options. Saskia should be saying to the guy, know your place, you're a a crock. I didn't want to give you a contract and I'd rather get you out of here. So let's get you out of here. It's just the wrong way to go about it. And it looks weak. It makes the manager look weak when he then decides to put the guy in the team for the final. So they've got big decisions to make uh, with the current players and in terms of the players they go after. There was some some histrionics from United fans last night saying, what three players like we need five, we need six, we need seven, which is complete nonsense. I mean they are not that bad as you say they have had a progressive season in the Premier League. There is a lot of cause for optimism with the current players they've got there and they, they look pretty good in in a, in a number of areas and there have been some terrific individual performances this season. But they do need a minimum three players to go into that first eleven, because next season, I think it was probably it could be the most competitive, certainly at the start of it anyway. Premier League season since Guardiola first came over to England, you've got City still wanting to. Guardiola is still at City. Tuchel shaking things up at Chelsea. Liverpool are going to retaliate under Klopp. Um those, those three coaches are legitimately better coaches than Solskjaer. So he's got a hell of a big task if he's going to achieve his objective next season, which is at the very least to mount a credible title challenge or to win the title. But an awful lot needs to happen for United to get into that, that position.
0: And probably to win a trophy too, with the, the narrative going on that United will be... Uh... Five years without a trophy, they don't win one next season. Um, Tyrone, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Samuel says there that it is unlikely that United will get three marquee elite names for the first team. So what two positions, if it has to just be two, what two positions do they have to prioritise based on where they've gone wrong this season at times and, and what needs to be improved? Um,
2: I would... I would... I mean, centre-back top of the list 100% definitely yep. a center back to play alongside maguire um beyond that i would probably edge towards central midfield over right wing but i don't think there's much in it um i mean we've all been we've all been critical of rashford on this podcast and he was awful last night and it's been poor for a while but if he can have a good rest i think we know he's a worthy first teamer at, at united he's surpassed 20 goals in two successive seasons there's a lot that depends on keeping him fit but A front three of Rashford, Cavani and Greenwood with Fernandez behind them. I I don't think that's far off um, title-winning, title-challenging material. Adding Sancho into that would add to the strength considerably and allow a lot more rotation. Um, But I think United can live without Sancho, considering how well Greenwood's played recently. And the fact, for me, he looks more suited at the moment to to playing on the right than playing centre-forward anyway. So I think I would say... Centre back and centre mid, and if they you know, if they signed Varane and Rice, say, then you're talking a team that would have, say, Varane, Maguire, Shaw, Rice, Fernandez, Pogba, Rashford, Cavani. That team should have. That team has to challenge for the title. So I think even with two signings of that calibre, they need to be getting very close next year. Because you look at you look at individual players, and we don't know what's going to happen with Pogba, but. I mean, if I was Solskjaer, I'd be absolutely demanding he stays this year and, and risk losing him on a free. And of course, he's he's another one that you can throw into that front three mix, given how well he's played on the left. You know, if you had players of, you know, if you start, say they have got Varane and you've got Varane, Fernandez, Pogba, and Cavani in the same team, I mean, they are four of the best players in Europe over recent seasons. That team has to get very close
0: to winning the title. Yeah, I think it's a very fair point, uh, Samuel. Finally, we can't do predictions. This week, no no upcoming game, which is yes, which is a virtue for all of us. I'm going to ask you both to to rate United season out of ten. Obviously, second in the league, uh, Europa League final, and not much else. I guess disappointment in the Champions League and in a couple of the other cup competitions, semi final of the the League Cup. Samuel, what's what's that? Is that six out of ten?
1: That is six out of ten. I think. but by my ratings history, if you get a seven, seven is, is good. Yeah. So given it's not been a good season, it has to be a six. Well, Tom and I only got seven last night. but I
0: think I, I thought it was a little bit harsh, but there you go. That's just, that's just me. Uh, Tyrone, <laughs> would you agree with that or you, you would be a little bit more generous? Um, no, I would roughly
2: agree with that, really. Six, maybe six and a half, just to be different. Um, you know, they... They're getting this this tag of I don't want to say big game bottlers, but you know when they're getting stage fright and when the heat is on, they're they're falling apart. They should have won that game comfortably last night. They in, in the knockout rounds they beat Villarreal, uh, not Real Sociedad and Granada eight nil over four games, and Villarreal finished below Real Sociedad and above Granada. They are teams of equal standard, and if they played Villarreal over two legs in the round of sixteen, they'd probably beaten them four nil on aggregate. So it's undoubted that there is. When the heat is on, this team has questions to answer given the way they keep losing in quarterfinals, semi-finals, and now a final. As soon as they went top of the league in January, they got Vertigo. They threw away a golden position in the Champions League group stages. So based on that, I think yeah, I think six is is probably fair. I mean they have progressed this season. They finished second. Um they finished second because they, they took advantage of Liverpool falling apart. They improved by eight points, which is Decent, I guess, but probably the minimum you'd expected. And I think if they're going to win the league next year, they're going to have to improve on this tally by at least 16 points, if not 20. And I think that's that's going to be the big challenge this year. I think we all expect Solskjaer to get a new contract this summer, but it feels to me like next season is, is going to be decisive for him. I'm not sure he can survive being the manager that, that oversees a fifth season without a trophy.
0: Well said. Well said. Uh, a final word for you, Samuel. Have you at least enjoyed your your trip to Gdańsk? Can you give us a, a Judith Chalmers uh, wish you were here report from from how that was?
1: <laughs> it's it is a very beautiful and picturesque place. Um, I, I didn't do a lot of research into it before coming here because sometimes if you're going somewhere new, you like to go there blind, and it was quickly apparent even the, the first night we got here that it's it's just lovely, it's lovely to wander around it's been a brilliant choice by UEFA, UEFA do get a lot wrong uh, in terms of cities they choose for certain finals and there have been an awful lot of questionable decisions but this like, like Stockholm it's, it's a perfect perfect location for a Europa League final, the, the stadium's not too far away from the city centre so a lot of fans were able to, to walk there uh, last night and it's just you know the work has to intrude so you can't maximize it as much as you'd like to but that's that's that, that can't even be classified as a as a complaint it's a, it's a privilege to uh, to be present here and to uh, and to just experience somewhere new it's certainly not some the kind of place that you you'd imagine going on, on your own back so um, but i think i you know, i've certainly been recommended Krakow already and i think i'll definitely have to go there at some point in the future yeah, I would recommend
0: Krakow. Uh, safe journey safe journey home, Samuel. Thank you for your, your coverage you. of this final. Thank and, and thank you, Tyrone, for your contributions as well. No problem. Thank you, Dom. And we'll be back with another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast very, very soon. No doubt a few transfer specials throughout the summer uh, and maybe a little bit of looking ahead to next season as well. But for now, from the three of us, it's thanks for listening. And we'll be with you again very soon.